This is Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you are curious about what researchers do at Western University, you have tuned into the right show because we are here to bring Western's research to the world. My name is Navneet, I'll be your host for the day, and I have my dear friend Roger co-hosting. Hey Roger, how's it going? Fantastic, Nav. How are you doing? Well, I had to shovel my driveway, so can't complain about that. <laughs> oh, Canadian winters, eh? Yep, yep. Tell me about that. Anyway, so if you guys are curious about what's happening with the whole drug issue and and with the whole antibiotic resistance and the and the mumbo jumbo on the internet about antibiotic resistance, we've got an exciting guest for you today. We have with us Brandon Jacob Bear. Hey, Brandon. Hi guys, how's it going? Pretty good, man. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. It's a little cold outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I don't have a car, so I didn't have to do much scraping or shoveling. But <laughs> so, Brandon, you're entering your second year of your master's. Yep, I uh, I started uh, in September 2016, so uh, I just finished the first year, and now we're just kind of moving in a few months at a time. Fantastic. And you're in the biology department. Uh, no, I'm in the science department, uh, or faculty of science department of physiology and pharmacology. All right. So, Brandon, if I remember right, you've been on GradCast before. Uh, yeah, you guys were nice enough to sit down with me after the Western Research Forum, uh, which I presented at. And, yeah, I got, a, I think, a 10-minute talk or something like that with another graduate student from my lab, and we got to talk about the lungs and things we're very interested in, so... It's always a pleasure to talk about your research, man. So how was that experience? Uh, That was uh, interesting. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how well I came off on the radio, but at the end of it, I gave out my email, and I got a few emails from, I think, students, undergrads, um, one graduate student just about my research, which made me feel great. I got to come off as a smart person, which is always fun. It's always great when people just get back to your research, isn't it? Yeah, when they trickle in and... And it's it's always nice to see that the community is interested in what you do and, mm-hmm. and values values what you put out into the world. True, and like when your work actually means something for people out there, that's that's always like humbling. Yeah, very much so. Uh, All right, man. So, people who are interested in your research, what is your research about? So, uh, my research focuses on a condition known as bacterial pneumonia, which mm-hmm. is just an infection, uh, usually bacterial in one or both of your lungs and it's treated usually with antibiotics for the average public um, a healthy adult it's a relatively trivial trivial condition where you get sick you go to your doctors they prescribe an antibiotic and usually you get better it's not the case for some uh, patients with pneumonia Uh, those immunocompromised uh, those who are very vulnerable the very young the very old are really targeted by the condition and I try to work to develop uh, new therapies or new therapeutics to try and deal with those bacterial infections in the lungs. Very interesting. So why is it that certain uh, groups of people may be immunocompromised and they're more susceptible to pneumonia? So um, you kind of answered your own question. Uh, Immunocompromised patients have an immune system that's not working properly is the easiest way to explain it. So um, someone who, let's say, has AIDS, they they don't have uh, an immune system that's active because of the virus interacting with their immune system and essentially nullifying it. 
My work, uh, the most common patients that are immunocompromised are those with cystic fibrosis. And they're probably the largest population that gets bacterial pneumonia simply because um, their lungs have a large quantity of mucus in it, uh, they're immunocompromised, and they're just very easy for the bacteria, even op opportunistic bacteria, to colonize. So you mentioned mucus and cystic fibrosis in yes. the same sentence. Why, why do they go hand in hand? Uh, so the genetic condition, cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. uh, one of the side effects of their inability to move chloride throughout the lungs is that water essentially follows those ions, those chloride ions. They're not able to move because the pump is damaged. Okay. The genetics. So that fluid actually builds up in their lungs. Uh, and okay. so naturally we, we have our, our lungs and our airways are covered with uh, hair-like structures known mm -hmm. as cilia. Okay. And they kind of move spontaneously to help us clear pathogens, dust, things like that. It's like a broom. Our lungs. It's like a yeah, broom. Yeah, you can think of it as like a, a magic brush that's always right. moving. And so this buildup of fluid and mucus actually causes those cilia to bend and, and be pushed down. And so they're no longer clearing uh, the mucus itself. And so okay. that mucus, its normal function is to kind of trap pathogens, act mm. as a little trap. But the trap only works if the trap eventually gets moved out of the lungs. If it doesn't get moved out, then it becomes a reservoir of pathogens, which is why CF patients are so susceptible because they have that reservoir of pathogens that can constantly bombard the lungs. All right. So it's the buildup of fluid in the lungs, the mucus, that is uh, allowing for the buildup of bacteria or pathogens, and that is what leads to uh, chronic infections? Uh, so or yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, there's probably uh, an immune aspect where they're immunocompromised, but that's probably the simplest way to, to where it is. Yeah, that, that buildup of mucus, that dysfunctional cilia, um, I think are the, the main causes for the infections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how do you specifically look at um, uh, the, the buildup of fluid, or, or how do you specifically look at this research question in the lab? So uh, I don't target uh, fluids so much. For that, uh, a lot of cystic fibrosis patients, I believe they have a mechanical, almost vibrate, vibrating machine that they put on their chest to help break up the fluid. Okay. Uh, my okay. research is more focused on how to deal with the infection itself in terms of the bacteria, in terms of the inflammation, in terms of you know, getting therapies to the sites of infection and inflammation. Mm. What's challenging about that? As in why so is it? Yeah. Um, the treatment of bacterial pneumonia is really hindered, I'd say, by... There's several major hurdles, but for the sake of this interview, we'll talk about three. Uh, these are probably the key points. Uh, bacterial resistance to antibiotics is increasing. Uh, there's both acute and chronic infections are often accompanied by uh, maladaptive inflammation, which can lead to poor outcomes, and drug delivery within the lungs itself is very difficult. So those are probably mm -hmm. the, the main points, and if you want me to go into any of those points, I, I sure, can. Sure, we'd love to. So, so really quickly, yeah, on the, on the topic of the points you brought up, why is uh, it so difficult to deliver drugs through the lungs? So that has to do with the very unique structure of the lungs themselves. So the metaphor I always use is a tree. Okay. So if you think of it as an upside-down tree, so you have the trunk, that's your trachea. Gotcha. And it comes down, it branches off into one of each of the, the lungs, the bronchioles. And then those will go into the, uh, it goes bronchioles, bronchioli, and it branches into smaller and smaller branches until eventually it reaches um, into these tiny, tiny air sacs, the alveolar sacs. And that's where blood transfusion comes in, the important function of the lungs. Uh, 
But for a therapy, you'd have to get something that could actually get through all those different branches. So it's very hard to uniformly spread a treatment in there. That's why a lot of treatments for um, bacterial pneumonia and other pulmonary conditions revolve around large systemic doses or multiple doses given over multiple days to keep a high concentration so that we can actually get to the sites. So it's just really difficult to get any therapy into those distal sites of the lungs. Mm. So we're just, oh, we're just like flooding the body with antibiotics, hoping that some of it kills the bacteria. Yeah, I mean, some antibiotics we can give in an oral dose, which is, is pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do have to get a dose high enough uh, at these sites of infection and inflammation, if you're talking about inflammation, to, to make them effective. There's a therapeutic dose that it has to reach. Um, for direct administration or local administration, which mm-hmm. is what I try to deal with, it, it's quite challenging to coat the lungs uh, or get to the distal sites of the airways. Very All interesting. Right. So, no, I'm just curious, like, is there anything wrong about that treatment, like, of just taking in too much antibiotics? And uh, I mean, large. your body is actually uh, more bacteria than human. Okay. Um, so <laughs> there's about 10 times bacterial cells to human cells. So, I mean, if you wanted to go by ratio, we're all just bacteria. But those bacteria are usually beneficial. They're not all harmful. Most of them help with digestion. They help treating bad bacteria. Um, You know, they do a number of different things. So when you take an antibiotic, you are essentially clearing house. So anything that's not resistant to the antibiotic is going to be killed, including those good bacteria. So there is problems with taking systemic doses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think systemic drugs of any sort always come with risks and side effects, which is the higher the dosage, the more side effects you're going to get. So that's kind of the perk. If we could get you know, a very local administration, uh, it's a lot easier. Uh, it's just the lungs are, are quite difficult to, to get to those direct sites. And that's, that's a, one of the three hurdles that we deal with with pneumonia. Mm. You also mentioned a, a maladaptive immune response yes. or inflammatory response. Is this specific to the lungs? Um, so or would this uh, inflammatory response be uh, universal throughout the rest of the body? So it depends what you mean. In the case of pneumonia, uh, it's, it's probably more specific to the lungs. Um, cystic fibrosis patients, again, they have uh, a basal level of inflammation, which is concerning. Uh, there's a number of different um, infections. So when you get a systemic infection, your your body has is going to have an immune system throughout your body, including your bloods, different organs, things like that. And that's very dangerous. But for the lungs, uh, specifically that maladaptive immune response is really uh, usually related to either bacteria in those little reservoirs for cystic fibrosis constantly bombarding the lungs or it's due to bacterial components, the, the pro-inflammatory guts of the bacteria spilling out, which can occur even when we treat bacteria with antibiotics. You know, the breakdown of those bacteria, the disintegration of their cell walls can lead to inflammation in the lungs. And that inflammation itself, um, when it's excessive, can be very damaging to the tissue of the lungs. So there's just this cro- constant cycle where the bacteria being broken down, da- or the bacteria being present in the lungs is leading to inflammation, but then the breakdown of the bacteria leads to co- uh, further inflammation. Yeah, that's that's the big problem with cystic fibrosis patients. I don't want to give the idea that antibiotics are bad by any stance. They're they're wonderful drugs. Uh, in a healthy patient, the breakdown of bacteria is essential okay. to the resolve. There's a number of studies that show that 
uh, late administration of antibiotics, any kind of delay in antibiotics um, lead to, to problems in the hospitals and longer hospital stays and, and worse outcomes. But yeah, in the case of CF patients and a lot of other uh, patients, the inability to ever clear the infection because they're trapped in those reservoirs can lead to a vicious cycle that um, some research has shown even after it's cleared that inflammation seems to remain. And it's largely due to you know the endotoxins, the bacterial DNA, the bacterial cell wall components that are going to be interacting with the immune system. And the immune system is going to think, oh, the infection is still here. We need to send more and more uh, neutrophils and other white blood cells. And these endotoxins and, and everything else that you're seeing, these are remnants of the bacteria after they've been killed? Yep. So um, a lot of bacteria, once they're broken down, they have certain components. So there's different types of bacteria I won't get into, but a common one is lipopolysaccharide or LPS. Okay, I've its heard of flip that. side is uh, LTA or lipotoidic acid, but they're basically just components of the cell membrane that are like little flags that bacteria recognize them. And so your immune system has receptors that bind to those components and elicit an immune response. Say, oh, the infection is here. You know, we need to recruit other immune cells, which is important for the clearance of the infection, but over time can actually become very damaging. The constant bombardment of yeah. the inflammation. Yep, I understand. Okay, so just just going back a little, I'm not a, I'm not too aware of biology. So, what is inflammation, and why is it harmful? Um, so, inflammation is a double-edged sword because it's your body's way to deal with an infection. So, um, it, before we ever had medication, that's really the body's defense. Your immune system is essential and inflammation is essential to the clearance of infection. It's chronic inflammation or an excessive amount of inflammation over a long period that can be damaging. So the simplest analogy I can use is if you've ever cut yourself or, or damaged your skin in some way, that's a barrier to the rest of your body, um, you'll get redness in the, in the area. Right. You'll get um, uh, yeah, I got scratched heat. by a cat the other day. Yeah, so, yeah. so you, you have red lines there. Okay. <laughs> um, you can have uh, heat at your body turning up the temperature. Uh, you can have swelling. They're all aspects of the immune system uh, trying to deal with the infection, keeping it away from the rest of the body, uh, making it easier for immune cells to come into that area and deal with that infection. So it's not uh, a bad thing. It's just the chronic inflammation at an excessive level the body is gonna then do more damage than good. Mm, why, like why is that harmful though? So uh, great, I, I'm gonna keep using metaphors, but um, your body metaphors. has certain uh, white blood cells and other immune cells that are residential to different parts of your body. They're usually macrophages, and I often call them the mall cops of the immune system. Okay. So these macrophages, can gobble up multiple pathogens. Uh, they're phagocytic. They can gobble them up, kind of like Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. they, if they can deal with the problem, it's rather trivial. It's fine. And that's you know acute infection, let's call it. However, if they are unable to clear a pathogen, after a while, they will uh, send out chemical recruiters called cytokines to kind of draw in other immune cells. And these other immune cells, there's a number of different types, but to keep it simple, uh, we'll just refer to one, neutrophils. And when they come in, they are very good at killing pathogens. So I often call them the SWAT team of the immune system. Okay. You know, I call them. Okay. So using that analogy, 
if you have uh, a criminal at the mall and that criminal can be dealt with by the mall cop, the mall is rather unaffected. You know, the mall cop is able to recruit them out. However, if it's a dangerous enough that the SWAT team comes in, they might break windows, they might you know, cause damages, things that aren't specific to the criminal itself, but will hurt the mall. And so that's when this chronic inflammation, when you recruit these other immune cells, they can lead to tissue damage, which can lead to respiratory problems, uh, lung injury, and eventually respiratory failure. So essentially, I guess these inflammatory responses, the, the macrophages, the neutrophils you're talking about, these things are good in small quantities and for short periods of time yes. to, to kill off what's needed to be there. But if, they're for, if they are there for too long, then they start to wreak havoc. Yeah, uh, the neutrophils themselves are important for clearing a lot of infections. But yeah, a, a chronic infection, a chronic inflammation uh, is maladaptive. It's going to lead to poor outcomes, which is why um, anti-inflammatories and stuff would be helpful in, in that case, but then you lead to immunocompromise. So there's a number of different ways. All right. So just moving on to the final challenge that you mentioned, the third one, which was antibiotic resistance. Yes. That that sounds pretty dreadful. Yes. So uh, <laughs> antibiotic resistance, um, well, in, in nature, bacteria compete with one another for resources like food. Okay. And the way that they compete with one another is they actually produce uh, lethal compounds directed at other bacteria. And in response, those bacteria to survive develop defenses against those lethal compounds. And it's an arms race, back and forth, and back and forth. Like throwing things at each yeah, other. Yeah, like any, any um, group of predator and prey and stuff like that, but gotcha. on a bacterial level. And they do this forever and ever. When we developed antibiotics, what we did is we took those lethal compounds into the lab and produced our own versions. And we essentially started an arm race with the bacteria where we produce a drug that is able to you know, kill bacteria in some way. The bacteria develop some sort of defense for it and eventually they're unaffected by the drug and that's antibiotic resistance. So it goes back and forth, back and forth uh, until either we run out of drugs or yeah, usually evolution wins. So. Until we run out of drugs is probably the final conclusion of that. So, you know, antibiotic resistance has been in the news fairly, you know, a lot recently. What is the what is the answer to this to this problem? Uh, so to to know the answer, you'd have to know the the problem, kind of where antibiotic resistance came from in the first place. A okay. lot of the news articles talk about superbugs and and things like that, and they're they're ever prevalent, but. Uh, the way I always like to look at it is the history of antibiotic resistance. So okay. the first antibiotic that I know of um, was penicillin by Alexander Fleming in 1928. Okay. And so it was very effective, um, but we had antibiotic resistance pop up around 1945. Which Such a is, short time later. Yeah, it's, it's around 17 or so years. Um, but not to worry, we created new antibiotics um, throughout the decades. I know one that was in the 70s, I think 1972, was vancomycin. Uh, we right. had resistance to that by 1988, so 16 years. And this cycle keeps going. Uh, uh, penem was produced in 1985. We had resistance by 1988. Three uh, years. No, so that would be... So 19, oh sorry, 19, it'd be 1985 to 1998. So 
that'd be 13 years wow all right so it's getting getting shorter shorter. yeah shorter and shorter Uh, if you want to jump forward to let's say 2000 so i think 2003 we had uh, daptomycin and resistance popped up to it by 2004 so it's a year so you can see that there's this acceleration and the reason for that is not only that fewer drugs are being produced there there is that uh, pharmaceutical companies there's not a lot of money to be made in antibiotics unlike if you're treating something like epilepsy where it's a chronic condition you have to take a pill for the rest of your life that's good money uh, antibiotics you take it for a few days you're usually fine afterwards mm-hmm. you know it's hard to make your money back but it's more the way that we use the antibiotics so <clears throat> just to give you some raw numbers um, I think in the United States last year uh, only 20% of prescribed antibiotics went to humans the other 80% went to animals and a lot of that is to do with this idea of preventing them from getting sick, you know, prophylactic administration. Um, and that's a whole other issue because the conditions they keep them in might not be great. Um, but there's also a side effect to antibiotics, which is really good for farming, which is it allows the animals to gain weight rather rapidly. So that's the way we use it there. Uh, additionally, in humans, only about 50% of the antibiotics we prescribe are usually for something that antibiotics should be prescribed for. Uh, there's a culture now that you don't want to leave the doctor's office without a prescription. Um, And so that's leading to antibiotic resistance. Um, You got to think bacteria can can essentially talk to one another. They pass on genes to a number of different ways. Um, And once you have a resistance, it spreads like wildfire. And so we're creating environments in our farming industries, in our hospitals, uh, even in some patients, that's going to encourage antibiotic resistance and propensiate eventually those superbugs that you were talking about in the news. All right. Wow. So, so you've mentioned like three problems now that are pretty dreadful. That's one mm-hmm. of them is antibiotic resistance. The other one was how hard it is to reach those target areas within the lungs, and the third one was the inflammatory reactions mm-hmm. of killing those bacteria. So, how do you? How does your research tackle all three? So my research, again, it's specific to the lungs. Um, a lot of the other things I talked about uh, will have to be touched on, like I can't control the farming community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my research, we, we look through a number of different therapeutics to try and find something that can, just to go over the major hurdles, kill antibiotic-resistant bacteria, uh, downregulate that excessive immune response, so regulate the immune system, and reach distal sites in the airways, reach those sites of infection and inflammation. So the way we accomplish the first two hurdles, the inflammation and the resistance, is actually by looking at a family of peptides or proteins. That are, they're called uh, host defense peptides. Hmm. They're found in the innate immune system of a wide variety of plant and animal species. Including so these are just produced naturally yeah, to so, fight diseases. So we've looked at them from mice, Okay. From chickens, pigs, okay. even in humans, uh, we have one as well. It's called okay. LL37. It's a very small peptide, but some animals have multiple versions. So the idea was that these have been around for millions of years in a wide variety of species. You know, we've developed, we found them in hagfish from millions of years ago. And they're very, very good at killing bacteria. So we, we tested a lot of them against uh, clinical strains or clinical isolates of bacteria we've gotten from CF patients because okay. they, they have that reservoir, they propensuate antibiotic resistance. Sure. So they'll be resistant to a number of drugs. And then these peptides are able to kill them in relatively low concentration. So even though they're phylogenically very old, 
they're very, very effective. So that's where we started. Um, and then we also found an interesting side effect, and many other scientists have, that they're also able to affect the immune system or um, modify that immune response, that exaggerated immune response. Uh, some of my work has supplemented antibiotics with different uh, host defense peptides, and in doing so, we've been able to bring down the inflammation that even antibiotic killing of bacteria has caused. So you're right. supplementing uh, antibiotics with host peptides. So these are uh, peptides from different organisms. You're mentioning mice and yep. pigs. And what, what, what would make a peptide from a different organism more effective than what humans have naturally produced themselves? So yeah, so that uh, depends on the shape. So a lot of these uh, peptides are in a big family. Okay. They have similar traits. Um, the, the probably easiest one to understand is they're positively charged across the board they all have that but they also have helical structures so if you think of a corkscrew okay um, that's an alpha helical structure but that's not important so it's the one we have in humans ll37 is just like that corkscrew and so it, it's very good at burrowing into the cell wall of bacteria okay. making pores allowing for fluid to flush in its positive charge allows it to interact with dna and enzymes and things like that okay and so it's very very effective um, in fact, it's probably one of the most effective. The reason that we um, kind of move away from it into other species is more to do with our, uh, you know, jumping over that hurdle of getting the treatments to the sites of infection, the way that it interacts with the vehicle that we've created to actually transport these drugs. So, so you're, so you're, like, you're putting these antibiotics along with something to carry them to these so, sites? So they're, I don't want to call them antibiotics. I would call okay, them the antimicrobials, but that's right. kind of trivial. Um, <laughs> so basically what we're trying to do is, like you said, pair these peptides mm -hmm. with some sort of pulmonary vehicle that will allow it to move in the lungs and get to those distal sites of infection and inflammation. So uh, I didn't talk too much about inflammation, but in terms of the infection, if, if it's in those distal airways and you just give a intratracheal dose of something, there's no reason for that dose to go to those sites, right? It could go to a different branch. It's like that. Right, um, it's hard the, to get the... Yeah, it's like, like that game on, uh, I think it was Wheel of Fortune, Plinko, which sure, drops down. Right, yeah. you know, it's hard to gauge where it's going to go. I mean, yep. It almost seems random. random. But if you can get something that can carry these therapies to those sites and coat the lungs and enhance spreading, then you're going to have a much more beneficial interaction with that infection. You're, you're going to be able to target it more locally. All right. So wow. Could you just, in a few, like, so, okay, to be honest, we're actually running out of time over here. And honestly, I've got so many more questions to ask you. We can go on all day. Yeah. What a wealth of knowledge. So, um, so I'm sure that, like, some of our, listeners who are tuned in right now would probably want to ask you more questions just like they did earlier so how do how would they want to how would they get in touch with you if they wanted to get in touch um, with you probably the easiest way is by email uh, right. like i said in the previous interview i don't have any kind of twitter or anything right. like that um so my email is b b a e r at uwo.ca just my uw email and uh yeah I'd, I'd be happy to answer whatever questions they have or they they want me to expand on this interview or just in general and I'm, I'm usually pretty happy to talk about science sure man in fact we'd love to have you back another time soon all right man sure all right guys so that was brandon jacob bear who is on the cusp of developing a 
a treatment for a whole spectrum of lung infections. I've been Navneet Mohan, your host for the day, and my friend Roger, he's been my co-host today. This broadcast episode was a production of the SOGS, the Society of Graduate Students at Western. We are every Tuesday, 6 p.m. on Radio Western, 94.9 FM. Or you could even check out our pre-recorded shows at gradcast.ca or iTunes or Google Play or just about any website where you would find awesome podcasts. If you guys want to be on our show or if you wish to be a part of a committee, just shoot us an email to gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in, guys. See you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm.